thought you were going to go through the whole calendar for next year at one point. There was quite a lot there this morning, wasn't there? Okay, there you go. Very good. Well, it's great that you're here this morning. If it is your first time here with us, welcome to you. Uh, my name's Barney. I, I have the privilege of uh, leading the team here at Gateway. Um, and at, at the moment, we are in the midst of a series on the Gospel of John. So you'll see that in the background at the moment. And we're carrying on that series today. There is a sort of slight change around. I was going to do this talk next week. And so I've swapped with Richard, so Richard's going to be next week, and I'm doing today as well. So uh, unusually for me, I'm working from notes today, because I didn't quite commit it to memory. Um, so anyway, so today we are uh, carrying on in John's Gospel, and our series in John's Gospel, what we've been doing is been, we've been looking at themes in John's Gospel on Sunday mornings, and we've also got a devotional guide, and I hope that's been of use to you, and that helps you go through the book of John on your own at home. And so on Sunday mornings, we've been looking at themes in John's Gospel, and we've been reflecting on questions that our culture has. So, for example, uh, what is truth was a question that we looked at. Last week, Sam looked at the whole notion of power and what real power looks like, according to Jesus. And today, I'm not actually going to answer a question. I'm going to look at, I believe, a kind of cultural theme that we have going on in our culture, and I'm going to draw on the work of a philosopher called Charles Taylor to do that, so just as we sort of start that off. Um, and so there's a, this kind of undercurrent in our culture, and, it, and it's this one, that the, the, the natural world is all there is. So our culture believes, our world believes, our Western worldview is now that the natural world is all there is. There's nothing that really exists outside the natural world, and, and if there is something that exists outside of our current understanding, all we need to do in order to be able to understand it is to go and explore, and then we'll be able to explain it. So you have those big missions into space, and they're quite exciting. I like all of those kinds of things. And, you know, this week there was that big announcement about new astronauts that were going to go into space. Because it's this idea about discovery and exploration. But in that, it's because we think, well, the natural world is all there is. Let me just put up a picture of our kind of natural world just to help explain this. Obviously, we've got the universe in there as well, but I want to try and help explain something to you. So Charles Taylor, this philosopher that I just mentioned, said that we, we have, we've adopted this idea that the natural world is all there is, and there's nothing outside of it, and there's nothing beyond it. And so it's almost like we would put a frame around the world, like a, a frame around our world that means that there's nothing that can go outside of it. And this is this idea of what's called something being imminent, not imminent as in something about to happen, but immanent, which means that everything exists or operates or remains within a certain framework. Everything exists within this framework. So within the frame of our kind of natural laws of the universe, everything exists within that. In this kind of understanding, there is nothing that can exist outside of that frame. So there is no room for transcendence. So what's transcendence? Transcendence is the idea that something can come in from outside that frame and enter into the world. That the closest we now get to transcendence is watching CGI or Marvel movies. Or it's, it's Halloween and, and the idea of the supernatural at Halloween. But sup the supernatural really isn't kind of supernatural anymore. It's just superstitious nonsense. Most of us would see it as hogwash or maybe Hogwarts. Look at that. That's good, isn't it? Just came up with that on the spot. Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm on a roll. Okay. So we have this idea of transcendence. The transcendence is anything outside of this framework, but we have really what is called the imminent frame. It's a framework in which nothing can enter into or go out of. And so in this world that we live in, there is no kind of understanding now of the classical understanding of transcendence. That means being able to have an experience beyond ourselves. Transcendence no longer happens because we're caught in the world of the imminent frame. 
And so we're left with something else. We're left with, instead of outer transcendence, we're left with another option. And the only option available to us in our culture isn't a, a transcendence that goes beyond ourselves and an understanding of something happening to us that is beyond our explanation. Instead, we're left with inner transcendence, which is the idea that we can have experiences within ourselves. So if you want to go on a journey of discovery as a human now in Western 21st century culture, the journey of discovery you go on isn't to discover something outside of yourself, apart from maybe an experience in the world that you encounter, the physical world. It's you can go on a journey of inner transcendence. So you can go on a journey of self-exploration and discover your true self. This, this philosophical idea underpins the LGBTQI plus movement. Okay, I'm not talking about sexuality today, but just to help you understand that, every movement has a philosophical idea that underpins it, and that movement is underpinned by this idea that in order for you to be able to go on a journey of inner kind of transcendence, you need to discover the real you. So your sexuality becomes a huge part of that. Again, it's living out the authentic version of yourself, being true to who you are. And all it really boils down to is a self-centered form of spirituality. And so within this, though, it recognizes an idea. There's something taking place with both these things, both with this idea of inner transcendence, but also like a classical idea of outer transcendence. There's a need in all of us as humans for something beyond ourselves. There's a need in us. There's like, it's like there's something in us that we need to try and satisfy. There's a hunger, there's a craving, there's a thirst for something beyond who we uh, are and our kind of experience of what we have. And, you know, it's funny because we find this in the Bible, <laughs> It's, it's uh, something that we see. And so God made us with appetites. Genesis 1, 28 and 29 talks about the fact that Adam and Eve had an appetite and God gave them food to eat. So they had this physical appetite. But also we find in Ecclesiastes, somebody quoted from this earlier actually, that God has placed eternity in the hearts of humans. God has placed eternity in our hearts. So we have an appetite both for the physical and also for the spiritual as well. But the problem is when we live lives within the framework of the imminent and we live lives just looking to inner transcendence to try and satisfy those needs, we just end up hungry. We end up thirsty. Um, living lives in the imminent frame means that we just look to the physical world to meet our spiritual appetites and it doesn't suffice. So we go out on Black Friday and we try and buy everything we can and we max out our credit cards just trying to get the best deal that we can on that latest Nintendo Switch that we want or our kids want because we think that it's going to satisfy a need that they have, a need that we have. We um, look to a relationship to satisfy that, that need that we have and maybe we're in a relationship and it isn't satisfying those physical and spiritual needs that we have and so we leave that relationship and we go and seek, search after another one. Or maybe we live out all of our lives thinking that if we have a relationship with another human that it's going to satisfy these longings, these cravings that we have. Now the thing is, Cravings and longings are not wrong. They're not wrong. Your appetite is something that is God-given to you. God has given you a physical and a spiritual appetite. He's given you those things. These things are not wrong. But the problem is, is that when you live a life in the imminent frame, you're always hungry and never full. You're always thirsty and you're never satisfied. Because what we end up doing is we, we end up looking to things that can't actually satisfy the deep needs inside of us. See, it's not your... It's not your appetite that's the problem. It's what you're consuming that is the problem. It's what you're consuming that is the problem. And you know, this is not a new thing. This has always existed. It wasn't called the imminent frame because Charles Taylor came up with that about 
30 years ago. It was just human nature because of the fall. This is the condition that we find ourselves in. And you know, you see this in scripture as well. So Isaiah 55, um, God says this, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jeremiah picks up a similar theme. Be appalled, O heavens, and be at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate. I mean, this is quite strong, strong language, isn't it? Declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves. You could say in our culture, we've not just hewed out cisterns for ourselves, we've hewed out cisterns within ourselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. So as I just said, our appetite isn't the thing that is the problem. It's what we are consuming that is the problem. And you know, the amazing thing about what Jesus comes to do is he comes to break the imminent frame. He comes to break this framework over our lives. Um, there's a, a verse in, in, in so again, I'm, I've tried to keep all my Bible references apart from Isaiah and Jeremiah. I've got one more later on, all from John, because I, I think we're in John's gospel. So John says in 1 John 3 uh, that he's, Jesus has come to destroy the works of the devil. So you might have heard this uh, quote from Charles Baudelaire. One of the artifices of Satan is to induce men to believe that he does not exist. Or, in the words of Kaiser Soze from The Usual Suspects, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world that he didn't exist. So you're in this world. We have been formulated and trapped into this worldview that is satanic, that is evil, that the world is all there is. The devil's convincing our society that all there is is all there is. (laughs) And there's nothing beyond that. But then Jesus comes and he comes to step in to our world. And what he does is he uses an image of the physical world to explain what he's doing. And it's the image of water. And so you see this in John's Gospel really clearly. All the way up from chapter 1 through to chapter 7, you can go and do the homework on it if you want to. Every single story is about water. I made this discovery when I was, we were preparing the series in John. I texted you, didn't I, Jazz, going, I've made a discovery. And I thought I'd come up with this new theological thing, only to found that, yeah, it's actually a thing. Um, I was like, I was convinced that I'd found my book content. <laughs> yes, finally, I've got something original. No, I haven't got anything original at all. Um, you always got to be, always be, be wary if somebody's saying they've come up with an original theological idea. It's probably heresy, okay? So, <laughs> it's true. Sam's laughing because it's true, isn't it? Yeah, there you go. So, look. This is a theme in John's Gospel. We see it clearly. And you see it all the way through to chapter 7. It goes beyond that as well. You can go through it and look at it if you want to. And what what is happening in all of these stories, there's a key factor that's happening. All of the characters in the stories think that a physical need will meet something spiritual. But Jesus comes in to show them that something else needs to take place in their lives. So the first one in John chapter 1, Jesus is talking to John the Baptist. John the Baptist is baptizing people in water. And Jesus says, uh, we need to be baptized in water and the Spirit. Chapter 2, we've got the physical problem of this, water, this wine. There's wine's run out. Jesus turns water into wine. It's like there's a new thing about to happen. In, uh, this, uh, that's a transcendent event. That doesn't happen in the natural world, does it? I ask you to go and pour me a glass of water and you turn it into wine. You're not going to be able to do it. The transcendent God is the only one who can. Chapter 3. Jesus is talking with a, 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 a guy called Nicodemus. He's a, a religious leader. And he says that in, in, in order to be born again... You need to be born of water and the spirit. And we get to chapter 4, and Jesus is with the woman at the well, the Samarian woman at the well, and, um, and, and he says to her, look, I've got water that if you have, you'll never thirst again. And she's like, where's this water? She thinks it's a physical thing that he's going to do. 
but it's actually a spiritual thing. It's a transcendent thing that God's going to do in her life. Chapter 5, we have the man who is paralysed trying to get into a pool of water. He thinks that a physical pool of water is going to meet his spiritual need. Then we get chapter 6, and the disciples are scared of the physical body of water, and Jesus just walks out on it like it's nothing. And then we get these two key passages, and it's like all of these other stories lead up to this moment, uh, these two moments in John 6 and John 7. Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then we get to John 7, and I've preached on this before, so I don't want to go into huge detail about it, but this is really is the culmination of this theme. Okay, it does carry on afterwards, but this is like the key point in it. So there's a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles, and on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, the high priest would get up, and he would pour two big jugs of water out as a celebration of who God is. And at that exact moment, it says that Jesus got up on the, the greatest and last day of the festival. Jesus stood, and you imagine this moment, the water's being poured out. And in a loud voice, he says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus is saying, I have come, the transcendent God has stepped into your physical world to put right your problem, your appetite that you can't solve yourself. The transcendent God has come into reality that you might be able to experience and explore and know his presence in your life and that you might be able to have that spiritual need met in him. And as John goes on to say, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that point, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus says, look, I have come that you might have life and life in all its fullness, he says in John 10, 10. As I said to you a few weeks ago, that isn't a prosperous life. That's life in the spirit. Jesus has come that we might know the glory of God in our day-to-day life. Jesus has come that we might know the transcendent God in our everyday. Not just some days, but every day. You see, the transcendent is now not only accessible to us, but because of what Jesus has done, wants to dwell within us. When you become a Christian, God comes to dwell in you by his spirit. And you can know the spirit's power in your day-to-day life. And so look, this again, Jesus then goes on to talk about what this looks like in John. I hope you're, you're tracking with me. Yeah, cool. So, like, the first six chapters, we've got this image of water, and then Jesus goes on to then explain what the Spirit's going to do when the Spirit turns up. And so, we find this kind of teaching that takes place in this address that Jesus gives his disciples. It goes on for four chapters between 13 and 17 in John. It's called the Farewell Discourse. And so, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming after he goes back to be with the Father. He says, unless I go to be with the Father, another cannot come to you. And he calls... This other, the paraclete in Greek, which means counsellor or advocate or helper. And he talks about the spirit being a counsellor and a helper to you. Somebody who's going to draw alongside you. Not like, you know, oh, he's a mate, he helped me out. But somebody who's going to be a very present help to you in your life. He's going to be a bringer of truth. But more than those two things, he is going to be God in you. There is no imminent frame. It's, It's a lie. God chooses to come and dwell in you. The transcendent God wants to come and dwell within you. Within you, not just somebody else in the room, you as an individual. The Holy Spirit is our teacher, 1426. He is our peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. The Holy Spirit comes and he brings us peace. Jesus says, you know, my peace I give to you. He's talking about the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, kind of fast-forwarding through Jesus' teaching, 
in, in, in chapter 16, he's the one who illuminates our sin. So if you live a life in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will illuminate your sin. He will show you where you're not following after Jesus. And lastly, and I am being a bit cheeky on this one, because it's not in John. But Luke 24, Luke says that Jesus told his disciples that they were to go to Jerusalem and wait until they were clothed with power from on high. And so if you want to read Acts 2, what happens is they're waiting in the upper room and the Holy Spirit falls on them on the day of Pentecost and they encounter the Holy Spirit's presence in their lives. And their experience is something that is transcendent. People watching what, ha- what is happening, it's like tongues of fire arresting on them. But the experience changes them inextricably. Peter goes from this guy who's denying Jesus to being the first preacher of the gospel. And then everybody who then becomes Christians, the expectation of the apostles is that anybody who becomes a Christian is, is going to encounter the Spirit of God. Not just as a, oh, I, oh made me feel nice, but encountering the power of the Spirit of God. But the problem is for us is that we live in this culture, this difficult culture. It is a post-Christian world that we live in. It is a secular age. This is the book by Charles Taylor that this imminent frame comes from. It's called A Secular Age. It's very long. Okay? But we live in a secular age. And the point is we live in this culture of the imminent frame. People around you have accepted this worldview. They've bought into this lie that the physical world is all there is. And the problem for us as Christians is that we can allow that to dilute and water down our belief in the transcendent God. We can allow that as Christians to water down our beliefs in, in the God who can step in and change situations. We can try and explain away the supernatural as being something that is explainable by science. We can try and water down experiences we have of, of God as something maybe we just ate rather than God actually moving in us. That is a real danger for all of us. We can allow the imminent frame to dilute our beliefs in the supernatural God. I was challenged, this is one of my favourite quotes that challenges me um, when I think about it. (laughs) A.W. Tozer said, we can have as much of God as we actually want. One of the greatest hindrances to the spirit-filled life is the theology of complacency, so widely accepted among gospel Christians today. You can have as much of God in your life as you want. But my question to you is, do you want it? Do you want it? I, I quoted, um, two weeks ago, I had the amazing privilege of going to New York, and I went to be at a church uh, called Church of the City um, and uh, with a guy called John Tyson. If you want a good Bible preacher online, listen to John Tyson. He's incredible. Um, John Tyson said, and I, I said this last week, I think, at church, that quite a lot of people, when they turn up to church on a Sunday morning, don't expect to meet with God. You expect a good coffee from the coffee shop more than you expect to meet with God when you turn up to church on a Sunday morning. That's, I'm just being real with you. Did you turn up this morning? When you were driving here in the car, were you more worried about what you had for lunch after church or were you actually expecting that you were going to meet with God this morning? That you were going to meet with the transcendent God? Did you turn up this morning going, I need God's presence in my life today? Or did you just turn up to church this morning because it's just what you do on a Sunday morning? Sorry, I'm being, maybe, that's, maybe that's harsh. Maybe it's not. So here's some questions for you today. Do you expect God to conform to your rules and agenda? Do you place God within the imminent frame in your life? Because God can exist within the imminent frame of our society, providing he does what we tell him to. But God doesn't do what humans tell him to. He does what he wants. 
but is your God too small? Is he a, is he a boxed God? Is he within the framework of the, the rules that you've set for him? Are you allowing him the space to do what he wants to do, or are you just ignoring what he wants to do in your life? Do you expect to meet with God when you come to church? Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Or are you trying to fulfill your hunger in physical things? Are you hungry for the tangible, manifest, transcendent presence of God in your life? You know, there's this, uh, there's this verse in 1 Corinthians 14, and it talks about, it's talking about prophecy, but it, it talks about when the presence of God is among a people, non-Christians will walk into rooms and say, surely God is among you. Are you hungry for the presence of God, not just in your life, but here on a Sunday morning? Because I pray every day now that when we meet together as a church community, that we experience the tangible presence of God when we meet together. Are you doing that? Just asking. Is that something that you're hungry for? Do you expect the presence of God in your day-to-day life? When you step out of the house in the morning to go to your job, whatever your job is, or when you're at home, uh, you know, if that is your job and that's what you do, are you expecting God's presence to come and meet with you? Or are you just expecting that the physical world is all there is? So as we close today, I just want to give us an opportunity to step into this a little bit. Because I honestly believe that we are called as a church to expect more. We're called as a church to expect more. You know, it's only in God's presence that lives are changed. You can do all the self-help stuff you like, but it's only when you experience and encounter the presence of the living one that real change will occur in your life. You need God's presence. You need his grace. You need his joy. You know, it's wonderful that the Holy Spirit, when we encounter the Holy Spirit and we encounter his presence and we encounter his goodness, we also encounter the grace of God. We stop trying to live out of effort and we encounter the grace of God. We encounter his his grace, which means that it's not about our earning. It's not about how we try to try and please God, because we all can slip into that. We encounter the true and real grace of God. So I thought as we finish this morning, we could just invite the Holy Spirit's presence. You know, God is always here but he's not always welcome. So can we spend a few minutes welcoming the presence of God this morning? And maybe you've just been convicted as I've been speaking to them. Maybe the Holy Spirit's already at work in your life and you're thinking, yeah, that is me. I'm living life in the imminent frame. I'm not living life um, under the weight of the supernatural transcendent God. So let's just, if you want to receive from the Holy Spirit, there's a really easy way of doing this. It doesn't, it's, this is not mystical or magical. But if you just put your hands out and say, Holy Spirit, I want to receive from you. It's just a sign for you as much as it is for God. Say, God, I'm open. I'm welcome. I welcome you here this morning. And as I'm praying, welcome him into your heart. He's here today. He wants to meet with you. Jesus has come so that you might have the Spirit. How good is that? Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We just welcome you, Holy Spirit, this morning. Welcome you into my heart again. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Come take up your rightful place in my life. Holy Spirit, we thank you that the transcendent God has stepped into creation in the the life of the Son. That God took on flesh. And we also thank you that the physical now 
resides in the transcendent, that Jesus, you are now seated in the heavens. And Jesus, we thank you that you've sent us your spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, right now. Welcome your power. Come, Holy Spirit. I just pray for anyone here right now who has given their heart over, their mind over to a, a secular way of thinking. Lord, that you would come and break in on their life. Lord, I pray for anybody here right now who is hungering and thirsting after things that do not satisfy. Jesus, come and satisfy their souls with the richest of foods right now. The power of your presence. Holy Spirit, come right now. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, we love your presence. We thank you that you're here. We thank you that you're here right now. We welcome you, Lord. We, I just pray for anybody here who uh, is living under condemnation. Thank you, Jesus, that they're free because of what you've done. Pray for anybody here right now, Lord God, who... It's just, they just feel like there's this thirst in them that cannot be uh, met. Maybe they've been looking for a relationship. Maybe they've just been looking for a physical relationship. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are all we need. We can walk our life single and content because we can have you. And so Jesus, I pray for anybody that that applies to here today. I just really feel that that's what the Father would say this morning. You only need Jesus. Just speak that over your life again today. You need Jesus. You don't need what the physical world offers. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. So Holy Spirit, come and just confirm that in people's hearts today. Anybody who's just been hungering and thirsting after a physical relationship, thinking it's going to meet their spiritual hunger, I pray, Jesus, that they might just encounter you. So I just pray for each of us this week. As we, as we walk into the week ahead, I pray that we would encounter you. I pray that you would reshape our thinking. Lord, would you cause us to go, uh, go and, and seek your face and not what you can do for us. Lord, we want to seek who you are rather than what you can do. So Lord, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would cause us to seek after you. We ask you that as we come into this place next Sunday morning... I pray that there would be a hunger and expectancy in each one of us for your presence amongst us. Lord, I know that the hungrier we are, Lord God, the more we want you, the more you'll turn up. So Lord, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come and meet that hunger and meet that thirst in our lives. Amen. 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 If you feel like God's speaking to you this morning, don't just walk out and go and get a coffee. Ask somebody next to you to pray with you or somebody that you trust and know. If you don't know anybody here and you don't trust to know anybody, come and pray with, come and speak to myself or Jazz, who's one of the other pastors here, Sam, 
uh, as well at the front. Claire, my wife, at the front as well. We'll pray for you. We'd love to talk to you and, and, and pray for you.